Policy Podcast. I'm Ashton Kazari. On today's show, we're going to talk about privacy by design. Joining me is Sunny Seon Kang. She's Senior Privacy Counsel and Head of Policy at Infer. Infer is a privacy enhancing cryptography and machine learning company. Sunny advises on U.S. and international data privacy laws and government affairs, and she focuses on AI policy. Prior to joining Infer, Sunny was International Consumer Counsel at the Electronic Privacy Information Center, EPIC, and a fellow at Stanford Law School. She has testified in front of the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission on IoT data security and filed FTC complaints against different data practices of tech companies. Sunny, welcome to the show. One little uh, fun fact about you is that for a summer, you were Yelp Fellow at Tech Freedom. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Ash. And it's good to be back remotely and good to see you in person again. Yeah, remotely in person through Zoom. Um, okay. <laughs> for everyone who's wondering if we're being safe, we're being very much socially distant. Um, all right, Sunny. So obviously, since your time at Tech Freedom, you've worked on a lot of different issues and um, you know bri- broadened your expertise. And now you're in the private sector working for Infer. Uh, do you mind telling us just in a few words what Infer does? I know I talked about them being a privacy-enhancing cryptography company. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Yeah, so it's not as complicated as it sounds. So I am currently head of policy and senior privacy counsel at Infer, and we're a US and Swiss-based privacy preserving machine learning company. My role is to advocate for regulators and industry stakeholders to prioritize consumer protection and privacy rights as the foundation of emerging technologies. So Infer's technology uh, rests on the third pillar of encryption. So it's called homomorphic encryption. And that means on top of encryption at rest, encryption in transit, our third pillar is encryption in processing. And that means being able to compute on data that is encrypted without seeing the underlying personal information. And a lot of our technology focuses on allowing people to widen economic activity on personal data without compromising privacy. And we also work on other cryptographic methodologies such as secure multi-party computation. And the core principle is the same, is to allow different institutions across different industries, across different jurisdictions to overcome privacy barriers and be able to utilize data whilst decentralizing the risk of sharing personal information. Can you start, obviously we said this podcast is going to be about privacy by design. So let's define what that is. Can you start with explaining to our listeners, what is privacy by design? How is it supposed to work? Mm -hmm. Sure. So privacy by design is a big part of new international regimes on privacy, like the general data protection regulation. Um, So transferring personal data is inherently risky. We should try to minimize it as much as we can, because contrary to popular belief, data isn't the new oil since mishandling it actually exposes real individuals and their opportunities to risk. But maintaining good data governance is really difficult as the data moves around, often Uh, In data stewardship relationships, data moves to a third party that institutions don't really have 
a lot of control or oversight over. And that means that if it's breached or compromised, it takes a long time to notify individuals that are impacted. And we also um, operate in a very unfair and asymmetric data ecosystem where consumers don't always know who holds their data and how it's trickling down the data ecosystem. But we're also pragmatic. Um, this doesn't mean that data shouldn't be used at all. And that's part of the reason why I'm happy to be in a privacy enhancing technology company because um, we recognize that data is still very pragmatic and it's important to use in commercial operations. And it's also essential to insights that drive key services like financial services, healthcare, and more. Um, even enforcement with regulatory agencies. And more data does mean better predictions and better engagement. Ultimately, privacy by design allows you to utilize data without making a privacy trade-off. And in one simple sentence, I think that privacy by design allows firms to derive value from data and still, still comport with the letter and the spirit of the GDPR, as well as many emerging privacy regulations. So I think that it's a really important part of the conversation that we often forget because so many discussions about privacy is focused on privacy policies and standard contractual clauses. So I'm really happy to be here and discuss the technological aspect of it all because there's a lot to give there. So you mentioned GDPR. Obviously, GDPR was probably one of the main events in the last couple of years that created shockwaves through the tech world and the world in general. Um, how did the new privacy law reforms like the GDPR accelerate interest in the privacy by design? That's a really great question, Ash. I think that the GDPR has really reformed the way that companies think about their data because the whole purpose of the GDPR is to put a stop on companies that are processing data without giving it a second thought. And it's not meant to be unduly restrictive, but it does at the core systematize accountability for the processing of data in many ways. And because it's still evolving and different best practice guidelines are still being put out by different European data protection authorities, a lot of companies may feel scared about new ways of processing and new emerging technologies because they might find that there isn't as much guidance to go by. Data privacy by design is a big component of the GDPR. Um, the GDPR recognizes that each data processing requires a lawful basis and whenever this isn't possible, they encourage companies to anonymize data to the best of their ability so that the data is no longer identifiable to a person or nor does it carry any personal identifiers so that it falls out of the jurisdiction of the GDPR. And there's also so many other developments um, with the recent Schrems II decision about data residency and data sovereignty. This is an issue that we're seeing really accelerate interest in privacy by design. And it's because currently with the Schrems II decision, um, data residency, meaning uh, protectionist 
policies for data to stay within a certain jurisdiction and not proliferate internationally is strengthening. And this may be very difficult for many companies that are operating internationally because they rely on being able to transfer their data. But because now a lot of countries don't have adequacy with the GDPR yet, and there's a lot of skepticism about whether data that is transferred to another jurisdiction will get adequate protections in that jurisdiction against unauthorized access or access by law enforcement there. Lots of countries are really reticent about sharing data with other countries. Privacy by design allows companies to anonymize data so that you can work on sharing insights without actually sharing the personal data. And you know, this gets into a more technological discussion about the ways encryption can help with international data transfers in a time where data residency is really rampant. But basically, infers cryptographic technologies allows data to be computed on an encrypted format. So whatever is being shared is not personal information like your name, your gender. Instead, it becomes turned into random auxiliary numbers. And after each operation and computing, those numbers are deleted. So say that you're sharing data from the US to another country, let's say India, um, you wouldn't be sharing any of the information about the data subjects in this function. You would just be sharing Number. the mathematics. Yeah, the numbers, exactly. So that allows a lot of very helpful innovations like AI development, uh, training machine learning without proliferating personal data. And it's going to become really critical. Um, we're seeing not only the GDPR, but a lot of countries that are currently evolving in the privacy jurisdiction, like India's uh, personal data protection regulation and the Dubai's new FinTech privacy laws, they're all trying to understand how data residency should be applied. And a lot of countries are leaning towards data sovereignty and that's not gonna be good for a lot of internationally operating companies, which may mean that anonymization and privacy by design will become more relevant. We even see that in the United States, right? We know the Department of Justice keeps trying to argue against end-to-end -end encryption and you know, break into the phones. That's the most probably feasible example uh, mm -hmm. that our listeners can't imagine. Um, and then obviously it goes without saying that more authoritarian regimes um, like Russia, Iran, and other countries, in those countries, encryption saves lives journalists, dissidents, so many people use it, just everyday people use it to be in touch with others and not be afraid to say what they think. So before I let you go, um, on policy side, so you mentioned AI and how this technology helps with AI learning. Do you mind elaborating just a little more on how exactly um, AI is developing in that sphere and what's helping? Yes, and I think that you brought up a very important point the purpose of privacy enhancing technologies isn't always commercial. I think that as encryption develops into the more deployable space evolving from academic research, there are so many ways that it could protect critical personal information and safeguard individuals from having their rights breached 
by the misuse of data. And this is going to be super critical in a very social and civil society way as well. And we need to remember that as well. So when it comes to AI, um, more data equals better prediction, more accuracy, and less skewed results. And getting more data is often very hard because there's a lot of commercial disincentives. Um, let's say a bank is training a data set for credit modeling decisions. It's gonna be really hard for them to collaborate with other banks because other banks are gonna have commercial um, disincentives to actually share their personal transactional data with a potential competitor. It's also really hard to navigate not only privacy regulations, but also financial regulations that may seem like they come in conflict with privacy regulations. So let's say, for example, anti-money laundering regulations versus privacy. Currently, anti-money laundering regulations that a lot of these banks comply with when they're creating AI for financial crime investigations are very um, data friendly. They want more data for better due diligence and more intelligence. However, privacy regulations are quite the opposite. They want more insight into where the data is trickling down to. They want um, data minimization and purpose specification, whereas this might not be the way that a bank might train their machine learning model. They might need one transactional data for training many different types of machine learning so that they can predict suspicious activities and flag it to regulators in a timely manner. Where privacy enhancing technologies come in is being able to share global data sets without revealing the underlying information again. So this means that bank A, B, C that might be competing with each other can use privacy enhancing technologies to create a financial crime fighting consortium and train uh, AI model together using different multimodal systems, different ontologies, a more diverse set of data so that it becomes more accurate and timely and global. It allows financial institutions to have a better bird's eyes view of the ways that these criminal funds can be traveling so that they can enhance their AI models when it comes to financial investigations. So I think that my final thought is that privacy enhancing technologies allows AI to be more diverse and it really cuts through so many dichotomies when it comes to privacy because so far there's a lot of misconceptions that privacy conflicts with financial regulations, that privacy conflicts with competition, that privacy conflicts with um, COVID tracing measures, but there are technical safeguards that allow data to be used in many different ways without compromising the actual sensitive information. And I think that this in innovation and using technical safeguards in the use of data in the future will ensure that we come to emerging technologies that are complex, interdisciplinary, and ethically deployable, particularly when it comes to AI governance.
That is fascinating. And I think our listeners are gonna, we're gonna link to some of your work in the show notes so they can look it up and read and learn more. And I'm sure if they have any questions, they can reach out to you on Twitter, which we're also gonna link in the show notes. Uh, before I let you go, we have this little segment called Women in Tech in which uh, women in tech share their experiences, their advice, overall, whatever you wanna talk about. Um, it doesn't have to be you know, heavy or it can be heavy, um, but what is your experience in the tech policy as a woman in privacy? Um, what is your advice to those who want to enter this field? Yeah, well, I really appreciate that there is this section because I don't really see a lot of it outside of the law school setting. Often I'm shocked when I'm sitting in a conference room that I am the only, not only woman, but woman of color um, in their 20s as well. So there needs to be more diversification into this field. And it is so difficult, especially in the private sector, because as it becomes more engineering focused, you see less and less women in the conversation table and you see less of them in the actual decision-making table. I think my advice is to never apologize for taking up space in those spaces and also try your best to just be an expert in a particular field. And for me, finding expertise in privacy by design was not only very invigorating and challenging, but I found it very personally enriching. Um, coming from a civil society and academic background, I really wanted to be able to transform some of those more principled recommendations into something that industries can adopt. And being clear in your mission, and there's so much that you can do in tech policy, you know, Ash does surveillance, 230, and I focus on consumer privacy and fintech, that finding your own niche and finding your voice and being able to brand it to the best of your ability will really be critical. And also never forget to reach out to other women in this field. I think that because it's such a small field, everyone is really out to help other people. And, you know, I met Ash when I was just starting at Tech Freedom and she has done so much to network me and connect me to people. And it's become a really amazing friendship as well. So, you know, I really enjoyed being on this podcast and to all of the women listening, like best of luck and don't be afraid to reach out. Well, now that I'm too emotional, I, I'm just going <laughs> to end the podcast on that. We're going to link to Sunny's Twitter and to Infer's website and her work in the show notes. Please feel free to reach out to her if you have any questions about privacy, AI, and fintech. Sunny, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you, Ash. I really enjoyed it. Tell our listeners to leave a review and rate us. Tell them. No, tell them to do it. Say oh. it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget to leave a review and rate this podcast. Thanks. Yes, exactly. Listen to Sunny. Subscribe. Thank you, everyone. Have a good one. Bye. The Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan nonprofit think tank in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work, make a tax-deductible donation, or find other episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.